So normally, uh, it's, it's usually like two months in between when I get to share with you. And so I usually do a big recap. I'm not going to do that so much because I, I had the privilege of sharing with you all last week. Uh, but I just, to, to give a brief recap, we're talking about, we're, we're continuing on Sermon on the Mount. Uh, well, yeah, that's what we're doing again. And, and I want to just like give us a little context as we get into uh, this week. Because last week was a little bit uh, meatier. And this week is kind of the same thing. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to need to have some context because, again, Jesus is giving these standards of the kingdom, these moral standards of the kingdom. That's, that's what he is doing. Uh, and we just sang the, the song Center, and it's talking about this idea of Jesus being at the center of our lives. And that idea is, is what is behind why Jesus is saying these things. Because you might read them and go, well, okay, like that's, that's very high and lofty and sometimes hard to achieve. How can I begin to do that? And, and it really comes down to how, what is our interaction with Jesus? Is he core to who we are or is he this like, kind of add-on that we associate with a couple times a week? And so I think as we get into um, these next two moral standards and, and the one following in the future, we're really going to get to the heart of, oh, oh man, this is an everyday thing. This isn't situational. Um, and so many of these ideas that Jesus gives, uh, last week we talked about anger, lust, and divorce, and, and how the kingdom standard looks forward to a day when those things are not uh, necessarily a part of our, our interactions and our experience, and we can begin to live those things out today as we experience the kingdom now. And, and many of these things Jesus is talking about, again, as a time to come, but also to be experienced here today now. Uh, and so... Uh, he, Jesus has introduced this format of you have heard it was said, but now today I say to you. Uh, and he does that to highlight what the law once taught or was teaching or tradition taught or some combination of those things said about some form of scripture or part of scripture. And then he's taking that and saying, but now today I, Jesus, say to you this. Uh, and in doing so, Jesus is claiming some authority about and over and, and to do with scripture that they would not have been accustomed to at that time. Uh, for someone to do that, you would have to have been at, at the very least a prophet, uh, but more likely something much more. Uh, and so with this in mind, we're going to continue in that same format. You have heard it was said, but now I say to you. Jesus is he, he's going to use, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, so he's going to keep going on with that format this week. And so if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5, uh, we're going to start in, in verse 33 today. Uh, and so far in this section, like I said, Jesus has addressed anger, lust, and divorce in, in these kingdom standards of morality. He's taken these things, and they're not an exhaustive list. They're not all the things that a person can experience, but they are a select few things that get to the heart of, of what it means to be people, how we interact with one another, how we're going to interact in the kingdom. Um, he's expanded on those three things and what the law once said or how people looked at it, and he has said how Jesus has come to fulfill it and how we as people of the kingdom who have put our faith in Jesus will interact with a law that maybe at one time said something on the surface level. So Jesus is going to continue this pattern, and it's with that same goal in mind, expanding the, the moral standards of the kingdom that we experience in the future and today, that's Jesus' goal, uh, that we read Matthew 5, 
verse 33, it says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you again for today. We thank you for your word. I just pray that as we, we dig into um, two areas that I think sometimes are more easily said than done, I pray that we would have grace, both with ourselves and the people around us. Um, but I pray that, that we would still hold a high view of, of these standards that you put out. I pray that uh, the Spirit would move, would let my words and my thoughts get out of the way, uh, and that you would help us to uh, look for more and more ways to put Jesus at, at the center of who we are with these things. In your name we pray. Amen. So, Jesus continues uh, with the same format. Like I said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you should not swear falsely. But, if, if you're going to swear, the idea is that you should perform the thing that you did swear to do. Uh, especially if you swear to the Lord that you will do it. Um, this is a common teaching on taking an oath in Jesus' time. That it was, they would have heard this and gone, okay, like, I get it. I've heard this before. Um, and, and this idea of oath was that you would, you would if you want to make a promise or make a vow or, or let someone know how serious you are, you, you would swear making a vow or an oath in their culture. Uh, and you would do that by God or God's name. And if you did, you were expected to do whatever you had sworn to do. So if you want someone to buy into, okay, that guy's going to be there, you would say, no, I, I, on, on God's name, I will do that. That was something that they had in their, in their Jewish thinking and culture. Except for, uh, in Numbers 30, verse 2, it says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. So now we have a problem. If people break their word, they have done something that has broken the law. And so the idea of making a vow or swearing a pledge by the Lord goes back to the third commandment, which tells us not to take the Lord's name in vain. It's this idea that if you swear by God or God's name, and then you don't do the thing that you swore to do, you're associating God and who God is and God's name with this faithless thing that you, you didn't follow through on. And that's unnecessary, because you didn't have to make the promise or swear the vow. You didn't have to. Um, and so, over time in Jewish thinking, it was interpreted that we ought never to take God's name in vain, which is good. Uh, and so then if you make a promise, or take a vow, or swear a pledge to someone, and you really, really, really want to show them that you're serious, 
How do we do that if we can't call on the name of God in that moment to get them to believe us? What are we, gonna, what do we call on? And so it became practice for them to swear by other things. <laughs> uh, and, and, of course, they didn't pick just random stuff. They picked stuff that was of high significance and value. Um, because they understood if we swear this by God's name and don't do it, we're somehow guilty with this law. And so, uh, if you can't do that, how are people going to believe us? How are people going to believe how serious we are? How can we convince them? And so, Jewish tradition at this time began to see people say, well, if I can't swear by God, I'll find something else. So they would replace God in the oath with other things. Heaven is my witness. I'll be there on Saturday to help you move. I swear on the ground that I'm walking, I'll pay you back by the end of the week. I swear on Jerusalem and the temple and the altar and the offering that I'll put on top of that altar that I never ever even touched the man's donkey. I didn't kill his donkey. It wasn't me. I swear on my own life. I'm telling the truth. These are things that they would have probably or could have been heard saying. And they swap out God for some other thing in their vow. And Jesus highlights a number of these things. And he's, he's going to point out some problems with all of them. Uh, but first I want to say, what if you end up sick and can't make it Saturday? What if you fail uh, to pay the person back? You just don't come up with the money and you can't do it. What if you, in fact, mistook your donkey for the other guys and you did, in fact, kill their donkey? And what if you don't have all the facts and you, you can't say for sure that, yeah, I know exactly what is true right now. What if you don't have all the information and you just don't know it? And, and that's kind of what Jesus is going to get at with this, like, you, you can't even control the color of your hair. How are you going to do this? And so what happens, and when that happens, do we then say, it's all right, you're off the hook, it's all good? Or were they expected to still follow through? And the religious leaders of their time began to say, well, you didn't swear by God's name or to God himself, and, and you, you kept it off the things of God, so you're good. Like, don't do that. Promises, but like, it's okay. You didn't swear to God. You swore to something else. Jesus' response is short, and it's sweet, and it's to the point. Do not take an oath at all. And you might hear that and say, that sometimes is easier said than done. <laughs> like, we want people to believe what we're saying. He gives some reasons why he says this. The first, he says, if you swear a promise on heaven or earth or the temple or Jerusalem or anything that God has made, it reflects on the God who made those things. They're not separate. This is not saying that, that God is the same as heaven or the same as earth, but what it does is it affects how we view truth the same way. And what I mean by that is swearing an oath falsely, taking a vow in vain, making a promise and not keeping it, it is dishonest and it's manipulative. It's dishonest because you, you don't know if it's true all the time. You don't know the outcome before you do it. And it's manipulative because at, at the heart of what it's doing, it's trying to say, you, 
come on, buy into what I'm saying. Believe me in this moment other than other things. And you're using God, heaven, earth, the temple, and yourself as like the pledge of why they should be, be believing you. Jesus says humans can't even manage the color of their hair. So how can you claim to know the circumstances you don't know? Real quick, I want to stress, uh, this does not mean that we should never make a commitment or a promise to somebody. Jesus had just talked about uh, last, in just like the previous sentence that Jesus said before talking about oaths was talking about marriage, which is a big commitment. But the idea is this, when we, when we begin to look at our promises and our commitments and our vows and the things we say, how does it reflect how we view truth and trustworthiness? Do we view it as a tool to get people to do something or believe something? Or do we view it as something that is worth saying, I'm not even going to involve other things. My yes is yes. How do we view truth? That's what Jesus is trying to get at the heart at with these oaths. We should conduct ourselves in such a way that when someone hears you say, I'll be there on Saturday. I'll pay you back. I didn't touch your donkey. I'm telling the truth. We should conduct ourselves in such a way that when they hear that, they go, I believe you. No vow required. No oath needed. Because the way you live as people of the kingdom and the way you speak as people of the kingdom, as Jesus puts it, lets what you simply say be yes or no. Do our lives and the way we live and the way we interact with one another and the way that we conduct ourselves about truth point to a way of life that says when that person says they'll be there, they'll be there. And they don't need to convince me. It's how we view truth and trustworthiness. Are we trustworthy people? Notice that Jesus doesn't say, you got to say yes every time. It's okay to say no. If you know you can't do it, don't sign up. In the kingdom, there's no spin on truth. We don't bend truth using our promises or manipulate it to convince others. In the kingdom, we don't do that. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. We don't use our vows to get someone to believe us. We don't make an oath to get somebody to do something on our behalf. Rather, in the kingdom, believing others and knowing what is true comes naturally. And we don't have to sift through, okay, well, the last time they said this, did they show up or did they, what happened? We don't have to do that. Because in the kingdom, it will be naturally evident because it is evident by people's lives. Because the people of the kingdom will have a heart changed by Jesus that says, I said I'd do it and I'll do it. What is true is true and I'm not going to try to use that truth to get somebody to do something on my behalf. In the kingdom, you won't need a senseless vow that you could violate. You won't need it. Because in the kingdom, your yes is as good as yes. 
Your no is believed as no. No spin required. You don't have to put it in, in pretty language to make people buy into, well, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense, what he's saying. It's face value in the kingdom. And if you hear that, and you think, man, that sounds refreshing. Because we live in a world that, it's full of spin. It's full of using truth to get a response. And Jesus says, no, no. Truth is of more value than that. We don't use it here. So, about oaths and promises, we could say the third commandment tells us not to take God's name in vain. And the Torah says, when you take a vow before God, you're expected to do it. And Jesus says, don't make petty vows at all. Don't, don't do it. Because when you take one and fail to follow through, it's going to negatively affect how others view truth, how others view your trustworthiness, and quite possibly how others view the God of the kingdom you call home. In the kingdom, honesty and truth are of higher value than your image and people believing what you say. And it's, the, it's this idea, do we care enough about what is real and what is true to let what we say just be what we say and not pad it with a whole bunch of stuff even if people don't believe us? Or are we so concerned with getting people to buy into our belief, our thought, that we have to tack on all this truth to get them to do it? So from oaths and promises, Jesus moves into retaliation and payback. Verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. And you might read that, and you might think, could that really, like, is that really in there? Like, is that, is the law really say that? Haven't they heard that, like, an eye for an eye, the whole world ends up blind? Like, haven't they heard this idea? Certainly they understood that this was not how things work. Um, Exodus 21, 22 to 25 is where this, this thought and this idea comes from. And it addresses this. And the idea was originally used to ensure that justice was not just left into the hands of the people who were wronged. And the reason that was is because when, when God gave this law to Moses, God understood something about people. And that is, especially in the moment, we're terrible judges of justice. Absolutely awful at it. And so it was this, this, this kind of thought and this kind of way of life that was given to the elders and the judges who would sit in the gates of the city that was an eye for an eye for a, and a tooth for a tooth. So that way when someone comes into that situation to say, hey, I have a grievance, I want to bring my neighbor in here because I believe they have wronged me. Okay, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That means well, however they wronged you, the, the punishment or whatever retribution or consequence there is, it needs to be fitting to the thing that was done to you. It was not literally poke the eye out. No. Now, 
Could people have at some point gone that route? Uh, I think probably they did, unfortunately. But if, if somebody knocks your tooth out, what good is it to you if their tooth is not in their mouth anymore? Like, how does that help you? It doesn't do anybody any good. Now you got two people with missing teeth. And so this idea, this eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, even in Exodus, when it was given, it wasn't given as this message of payback. It was given as a message of, we need to make sure that justice is real, that it's fitting, and that it's fair. And it was given to people outside of the situation. So it does not say, if somebody knocks your tooth out, you yourself need to go and make sure that you get a tooth's worth of justice. Rather, other people are ensuring that that justice is carried out in your situation. Another way of putting it, uh, that its notion is fitting, if someone knocks your tooth out, yeah, the law did not intend for them to go, like, punching somebody else. It's not helpful. Rather, restitution for the tooth needs to be fitting. And it needs to be a solution that both parties, the one harmed and the one doing the harm, get to the end to and go, this seems fair. That's what justice looks like. And there's those who took this and used it, and they said, oh man, that guy, he let my sheep out again. I'll tell you what, get the wire cutters, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'll show him. It began to be used as this thing to get back. I need to get my justice right now. But as I said so often, when we as people who have been harmed, if we're really honest with ourselves, really look at ourselves in that moment and we're honest, we don't want to get back. We want to get ahead. I want to do just a little bit more than what they did to me. So that way, okay, now I ended up on top. We're incredibly, incredibly bad judges of what justice is when we have been harmed and wronged. Jesus says, don't resist the one who is evil. And this likely refers to the one who intends evil to you. And you might hear that and go, I don't know what I'm signing up for. To many people gathered on that hillside with Jesus that day, they have had folks treat them in the worst ways humanly possible. Have had people intend just the most dehumanizing evil to them. And Jesus tells those people, don't try to get back. Don't resist the one who is evil. And I, like, I would not be surprised if maybe Jesus said that and folks took off from the side of the hillside and went home. Because it's tough. It's not easy. Many of them may have had this notion that, well, if we're a part of this new kingdom, this current kingdom that we've been involved with on this earth, it hasn't dealt very well with us. Like, we haven't seen a lot of justice. And maybe if we get involved with this new kingdom that Jesus is talking about, we'll see some justice. And this kingdom will go get the people who have done something to us. And then Jesus tells them, no. In fact, the way that this kingdom 
handles wrongdoing is not through more wrongdoing. And I think many of them were disappointed. Jesus gives three tangible examples uh, about how this could play out. And, and if you read these and go, okay, uh, it's because this was given to people of times past. He says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, if someone would sue you and take your tunic, and if someone forces you to go a mile. These are pretty specific. <laughs> like, uh, and, and whenever something is specific, it, it's probably got something more to say about what it's about. And so before looking at them, I want to note, Jesus is not calling his people to be doormats. He's not saying, hey, listen, y'all just got to take every single beating that's coming your way. You have to go out and just like actively look for people to do harm to you. That's not what he's saying. Jesus himself fled violence. Jesus himself confronted injustice in the moment and said, no, 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 no. We're not going to do this. Rather, it's about what is, what is our heart and how is our view of justice and how we view what is right and what is fair in the moment. Jesus wants to address that piece. Retalia retaliation and payback aren't something that are pursued in the kingdom. Mostly because we won't need to. It will be dealt with. Rather like Exodus intended, we ought to seek for real, lasting justice that is felt and experienced by both sides. And these three examples would be realities to those people seated before Jesus. So if you heard those, somebody slaps you on the cheek, somebody sues you and takes your tunic, I don't even own a tunic, somebody makes you walk a mile, it's like, okay, I have a car. Sure, I'll go 10, like, whatever. If you hear that, it's because their world was a little different. <laughs> and so we have to look at, in their world, it was totally acceptable for a Jewish person, many of the people sitting on this hillside with Jesus are Jewish people, it was totally acceptable for a Jewish person if they have somehow broken or somehow uh, unable to pay some sort of, of tax or broken some sort of creed of the government, of the culture of their time, they take one across the face. In the moment, in that situation, it was not uncommon for somebody to just get slapped across the face. And we hear that and we go, that sounds like some of the stuff we see on TV and on the internet. Yeah. Because <laughs> we don't expect it. Because nine times out of ten we go about our lives and even when we have terrible, terrible things happen, nobody's hitting each other, which is good. But that doesn't mean justice is happening. And so Jesus says, if somebody just across the face, which is something in their culture, again, that could happen, Jesus says, turn the other cheek to them. That's hard. Because <laughs> the last thing that you want to do when somebody has hit you is say, okay, if you need to do it again, go ahead. That's very, very difficult. It takes self-control on a, on a level that I don't have. It takes a view of justice that, that gets into our hearts and says, nope, I'm not going to have it right now. I'll pursue it the right way. It's this idea. Jesus says, if that happens, and somebody, don't give them a reason to do it again. 
In fact, just say, okay, you know what? You seem to need this right now. And in, in doing that, in turning the other cheek, you are going to highlight the injustice that they have done to you. They will go, who's this guy? What did I just do? Like, what are we doing here? And hopefully there will be a gut check with the person who means evil to you, where they go, oh man, I, have, I haven't been just with this person. Jesus is not calling for just justice to go flying out the window. He's saying, no, 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 in that moment, you're going to accomplish much more by giving up retaliation and saying, we're going to deal with this and try to have a higher view of justice. And hopefully that person will feel, this seems wrong now. Like, I, I have done something wrong to this person. Second, Jesus says, if someone sues you in order to take your tunic. This idea, the, the in order to take your tunic is, is super important because they're trying to take advantage of you. Jesus is talking to a group of people who are poor, outcast, fringes of society. A tunic and a cloak might be all these people have. And so Jesus says, if someone would sue you and try to get your tunic, give them your cloak. Or as my grandfather would tell me growing up, kill him with kindness. Because if someone is trying to take advantage of you for their gain by legal measures, show those deciding the legal measures, hey, he can, it's not about stuff. I care too much about justice to make this an argument about my shirt and my cloak and my tunic. So here you go. Because I want, I want justice to happen. So if this is what we have to do to get this out of the way to really have some justice, I'll do it. And in doing that, again, you're going to highlight the injustice of what this person is doing. Why are you trying to get their tunic? You don't need it. Stop it. Don't do that. And it's going to highlight the injustice of the situation. Last, Jesus says, if someone forces you to go a mile. And this one is uh, the most striking because it was totally acceptable, again, in their culture, if a Roman guard or a Roman soldier strolls into town, they have their gear, they have their bag, and they get into town and they see a Jewish family sitting, they walk over, plop the bag down, and they say, carry it mile, we're going. That person was expected to pick up that bag and that gear and walk it a mile. <laughs> and Jesus says, go to. Take it further. Take it into their house. Help them get settled in. I want to note, Jesus is talking to, to Jewish, is, is, Israelite people. And he could have added, Jesus could have added, well, unless somebody plops the bag down on Sabbath, then you're totally fine to say, no, 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 I won't do it. He doesn't say that. This could have happened on Sabbath. And grabbing that bag and carrying it would have broken all of, all of those Sabbath laws. And Jesus says, there's a new law in town. It's the law of love. Love the one who means evil to you. It's not easy. And it's the last thing we want sometimes. A lot of times when we're in that moment, we want to go, oh, I, just, I just want to see that guy just like get it. I, I want to see, no. Jesus says, nope. Take their bag two miles. 
help settle them in. And it's this idea that in doing so, again, that person now sees, wait a minute, I only asked you to go a mile. What are you doing? And you just say, I want to take this farther. And your love in that moment will highlight their injustice. The idea is this. In the kingdom, the mandate for loving action precedes and takes precedence and, and, and overrides the mandate for situational justice. And the reason that is is because so often we're incredibly bad at situational justice. In the moment, we're bad at it as people. So as citizens of the kingdom, we ought to seek to go the extra mile. Even when we would be justified in not going the extra mile. When we are being mistreated in that moment, that is not the moment to pursue justice and to pursue what is right. That doesn't mean we never do. I can't stress this enough. God is a God who cares very much about justice. But we are a people who handle it poorly sometimes. And so, because doing so often leads to retaliation, it doesn't lead to real justice. We say, okay, you did this, I'm going to do this back. And you just try to one-up the retaliation. And it gets out of hand, and it builds this cycle of fighting and infighting and going back and forth. You want to go back to the anger piece, it just builds the anger. It doesn't help. Jesus says loving action produces this sense of judgment in the one doing evil and it puts an end to that cycle of harm. He says, nope, I'm not, I'm not going to play your game. <laughs> go above and beyond. A notion that Jesus instills, if you hear that and go, well, okay, they didn't have to go above and beyond. Jesus says, the one who begs, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You owe them nothing. Like, you don't owe them anything. Jesus says, yeah, you don't. Show them love anyway. Go above and beyond. That's what citizens of the kingdom, people changed by Jesus, should look like. Even when it's difficult. In the kingdom, citizens are regularly looking to show love to those around them, even if those people have wronged them or even if they owe nothing to those people. So, in regards to payback, we could say, the Torah said an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. And it said that to prohibit unjust punishment. Jesus says, when someone does something evil to you, love them. Seek to go above and beyond for them. Often, we have to admit that we're poor judges of justice, especially when we've been harmed. Justice is important, but it's too important for us to make it be mistaken for retaliation. We have to care enough about justice to not want people to look at it and go, ah, that's retaliation, that's payback. We have to care enough about justice to set our desires aside and say, I have a just God who will hopefully in this life deal with this in some way, but I know we'll deal with it someday in the future. In the kingdom, truth is valued enough to let your words and actions be what they are rather than used to manipulate someone. 
And we look forward to a day where what is true is true and there's no spin and there's no manipulation. And we can begin to live those lives as citizens of the kingdom changed by Jesus here today and create a little bit of that kingdom around us. We look forward to a day when, when there's no evil committed to us. How great that will be. But as we live in a place where there's going to be, we can begin to live out that future kingdom in how we respond to the evil committed to us today and in doing so create a little pocket of that kingdom around us now. Because in the kingdom, truth and justice are fully realized. It's not up for debate. It's not up for question. It's, it's realized. And everybody will agree on it. <laughs> And we can begin to promote truth and justice. And the way we do that now is to show love. And let our personal desires for being believed, let them go. Let our personal desires to get ahead and get what we think we deserve when someone harms us, let it go. And love the person. That's how we begin to create these little pockets of truth and justice nowadays. The kingdom as we interact with it now is affected by sin. And sin makes us poor decision makers when it comes to truth and justice, unfortunately. It would, it would be great if we could just take everybody's word at face value all the time. And it would be wonderful if we never had to ever seek justice on anything because nobody's ever harming anybody. But we don't live in that world yet. And so, when we fail, well, we would... Do better instead of those things to prioritize love. Love over being believed and love over getting back. And when we fail to prioritize love, and I say when because we are going to fail. <laughs> it's very difficult. When we fail to prioritize that love and live this out, we have a Savior who fully embodies truth and justice, fulfilled the standard for us, and gave the exact perfect example of this is what loving the one who means evil to you looks like. This is what letting your yes be yes looks like. Jesus is our standard. <laughs>